The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Family Matters with your host, Dr. Virginia Collin. In this program, we will explore some of the challenges families face and the solutions they create in today's world, where marriage, parenting, and family forms are not what they once were. Now, here is Dr. Virginia Collin. Welcome to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin, professional family mediator. My guest today is my friend, Bill Eddy who was a kindergarten teacher in the 1970s, a therapist in the 1980s, and starting early in the 1990s, a lawyer as well as a family mediator. He is a certified family law specialist and a licensed clinical social worker in California. Bill has provided training for mediators and others in many locations on three continents, The program he does that we're going to talk about today is called New Ways for Families. Welcome to the show, Bill. Thank you very much, Virginia. I'm glad to be on. I'm looking forward to our discussion. Well, let's start with high-conflict divorce. That gets a lot of attention, but some people divorce peacefully. How common is it for spouses to get into intense conflicts when they're separating or divorcing? Well, what we see is about 10 to 25% of divorce cases are what we call high-conflict cases because it's not just momentary. It generally tends to go on for years. And often, in my mind, within two years, you can tell people are moving through the process, things are calming down, etc. The high-conflict cases just keep going and going more than two years. So that's, that's what really stands out. And, and many people know somebody in a high-conflict divorce, and they're like, oh, my goodness, will this ever end? And it seems like it doesn't. It just keeps going. Mm. So this is pretty awful for the kids, what advice do you have for parents to either to help the kids get through this time or to help themselves stop doing this to their kids? Well, what we've learned, and this really started from dealing with high-conflict cases, but what we've learned can really be applied to any family going through divorce, and that is to focus on skills, on personal skills, personal conflict resolution skills. And so parents can practice good conflict resolution skills, but also talk to their kids about what are good skills to use, really, for getting through life. Because what we see is the skills you need to get through high-conflict divorce are the skills you need to get through conflicts. Let's say you have a boss someday who's really difficult or a neighbor who's really stuck in conflict. So it's actually an opportunity for parents to teach their children some good skills for life. So we developed a method that we call New Ways for Families, which basically teaches parents 
four big skills so that they can then practice those with each other to keep things from becoming high conflict, but also so they can teach those to their kids. So it's really a different approach, and it's a much more solid approach when you think of parenting and building skills for life. Because high-conflict divorce is not a good thing to teach children. You don't want kids to learn how to be high-conflict. Yeah. Yeah, I I see some parents who've really gotten into difficulty with each other and you know they just they can't stop fighting and it's it really is awful for the kids. It's not it's not the kind of behavior you want to model for your children to copy. Exactly. Okay. So what skills do you teach? Well, we teach what we call the four big skills for life. And these four big skills are flexible thinking. Not all-or-nothing thinking, which high-conflict situations have a lot of, but flexible thinking. There's more than one solution to a problem. Let's look for solutions rather than just digging in your heels and saying it has to be this way. So flexible thinking. Second is managed emotions. And especially in the high-conflict separation and divorce cases, we see a lot of anger, a lot of tears, a lot of just feeling overwhelmed, all of that. And so emotions kind of take over and they cloud people's thinking. So what we teach is ways to manage emotions, things you can tell yourself, things you can do to help calm down. Because one thing there's lots of brain science on is that it's hard to think clearly when you're real emotionally upset. So that's the second skill. The third skill is moderate behavior. And when people are in a high-conflict situation or any stressful situation, they often jump to extremes and they go, well, I'm just going to run away or I'm just going to fight. I'll see you in court and I'm not even going to talk to you. I'm just going to fight you. And so moderate behavior is really much better and what helps. And the fourth is checking yourself. One of the things we see in high-conflict situations is that people are constantly pointing the finger at the other person saying, you're doing this wrong, you have to do that, you should do this, you should do that, instead of checking themselves. Am I using flexible thinking, managed emotions, and moderate behavior? So that's a real quick summary of the four big skills. That last one sounds, that's something that I know would be really hard for some of the parents that I've worked with. Um, The jump to blaming the other person is so automatic. How do people do, do how do do you get them to learn that, to be willing to do that? (laughs) Yeah, well, we teach some different methods. One of them is what we call a BIF response, which is, brief, informative, friendly, and firm. So when someone says something that really upsets you, is to really try and take a deep breath and then think, what is the piece of information that I need to give here? So I'm not just reacting, etc. But when we teach people to manage their emotions, we also teach taking a break, giving yourself an encouraging statement, and these help people calm down And then they can respond. Then they can give a BIF response, uh, something like that. So they can say, wow, you know, 
what you said about what happened last week, here's some information on such and such day, I was such and such a place, and that basically, I can tell you that. So that you're talking about information instead of emotions. And everybody knows you look on the internet nowadays and people have streams of comments, you know, you're the idiot, no, you're the idiot, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Our BIF response is brief, informative, friendly, and firm. There's no judgment, no emotion, no defending, just straight information. So we teach straight information, but we also teach ways to calm yourself so you can use that part of your brain because it's a different part of your brain that fights, fights, and, and freezes from problem solving. So this okay. is how we help people balance themselves. Okay, tell me a little more about how people participate in the program. You know, if if I, if I, for example, had um, four sets of clients who were, had their own, each had their own version of a high conflict divorce or high conflict co-parenting after divorce, two years, three years after divorce, what what would I tell them? To, how would they participate in a program like New Ways for Families? Well, if we've trained people in their area, and they can go to our website, newwaysforfamilies.com, and look, we've trained people in about 25 cities in this method. So we train counselors who can counsel the individual parents and then meet with the parents and their children together while the parents teach their children. So it's a very kind of step-by-step, short-term approach. But that's where we've trained people. If they're in an area where there hasn't been anyone trained in this method, we do have an online version now. And they can also go to our website, newwaysforfamilies.com, and the online program, it's called Parenting Without Conflict, teaches these skills, and there's 12 sessions And sometimes courts order people, take a parenting class and send a certificate to court. Or people just want to exchange certificates. Did you take the class? Yes, I took the class. So when they do the online course, they get a certificate at the end of it. If they do the in-person counseling model, then they get a verification of completion. And the in-person counseling model is being ordered in five or six court jurisdictions. So we've actually seen a lot of success with it because both parents learn the same skill. It doesn't matter, you know, you're not trying to decide who's the bad guy or who's the parent that did the wrong thing. It's just let's start today and work forward. Both parents are taught the same skills and they teach the same skills to their kids. And we have a workbook for this so that they can practice doing writing exercises to help remember the skills and practice doing the same skills the other parent is doing. And and kids really seem to appreciate this because their parents are on the same page. We have time for one short story in this segment about some people who've, who've done well with this program. Tell me about one couple. So we had a case where we had a child who refused to see her father for about a year. And this is, you call it refusal, resistance, alienation, whatever you want to call it. It's not that unusual in high-conflict cases nowadays. So she was uh, 15, hadn't seen her father for a year. 
and agreed, you know, the parents each went through six sessions of individual counseling with the New Ways for Families workbook, and then the mother convinced the daughter to go meet with her father for the parent-child part, because each parent does it separately, and the girl agreed because it was only three sessions. And the first session, she blasts her father. Says, you know, you did this wrong, you did that wrong, I hate you, all that stuff. And so after she's done, Dad says, thank you. Thank you for telling me that. And she says, you're not mad at me? And he says, no, I'm glad that we're talking. Tell me more. Because Dad had been trained in managing his emotions and, and listening and not having extreme behavior, so he listened, and they ended up talking, and after that, they had um, they would get together for dinners once a week. So it isn't that suddenly, you know, Dad wished he had 50-50, but in reality, in this case, he has a relationship. And so they started doing things together, having dinners, and then a little bit more. But the idea is it opens up communication because both parents are teaching the same skills and they're teaching them to the kids. So it's about skills, not about problems, not about who's bad and who's good. So that's an example of how it can work. Okay, that's a good story. We will be back after a break talking more about new ways for families. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. 
You may also send an email to radio show at collinfamilymediationgroup.com. Now, back to Family Matters. I'm Virginia Collin talking with Bill Eddy, who is a lawyer and a mediator and a therapist. Um, we're talking about new ways for families, helping moms and dads who have a history of intense conflict with each other to learn new skills and be better parents for their kids, basically. I'm wondering, Bill, do do the parents ordinarily go together to the counseling sessions? No, no. It's it's designed, as, as we said earlier, for high-conflict families. So the parents never have to be in the same room together, never have to be at the same place at the same time. So each parent has an individual counselor for six individual sessions guided by a workbook. And so they're going to be working on the same skills, but they're never together unless they both agree they want to do the sixth session together with their two counselors. And we have some cases of that, um, but mostly they go through the whole thing, not being in the same room together, and it's confidential. So their counselors don't talk to each other. They don't talk to lawyers, mediators, judges. They just talk to their client. And that way the focus is really on learning the skills, and we're getting really good feedback. Uh, We've got a lot of good feedback. Parents are saying we like learning these skills. We teach how to email. We teach how to make proposals, manage emotions, all of that, so that they each like it because they're the focus. It's not. They don't have to deal with the other person in that structure. Now, the second part of it is three parent-child sessions. Each parent has that separately with their kids, so the other parent isn't involved, and so they can focus on their parent-child relationship. Then the big decisions can be made. They can go into mediation and meet with a mediator, and the parents can make decisions using their new skills. Um, and so, so we design it to be mostly focusing on them separately, and then after they've gone through new ways for families, then they can work together um, in whatever setting uh, works for them. Okay. What happens if one parent says, hey, this program sounds good to me, I'm, I'm willing to come to some counseling sessions and learn these skills, and the other parent says, nope, I'm not doing that, that doesn't sound like it would work? Can one yeah. parent participate, and, and will the family benefit? Well, what we really, we really, really, really try hard to get both parents to do it, because when they both do it, it really becomes working together in the same direction for the benefit of the kids. So we call it new ways for families, so it's the whole family moving forward in the same direction. With that said, one way to get them into it is some of the places where the courts order it, and they order both parents. They always order both parents. They don't say, you're the good parent, you're the bad parent. They say, we, we believe this will help you, and so I'm ordering both parents. However, if a parent isn't where they can get the other parent ordered to do it, and they really want to do it, they could meet with the counselor and just do it individually themselves. But we don't call that new ways for families because new ways for families is both parents learning the method. But that is an option 
And we've told the counselors that we've trained in 25 cities that they can use the workbook and work with individual clients if they want. But don't call that new ways for families. If it's new ways for families, we want both parents so the kids aren't caught in the middle. And that's the best way to prevent that. Got it. That makes sense. Um, What do you do for parents who believe that you know, if I'm a mom, I believe that my ex is just really being a negative influence on the kids. How do you help parents with that? Well, we would encourage them to um, ask the court or ask the other parent to agree to go through new ways for families, because they can both do it out of court if they sign an agreement to do that. Um, so we try for that. Or going to court and getting a court order that both parents will do that. Um, Sometimes we have cases where both parents have gone through it, and, and a parent will say, like you just suggested, well, the other parent didn't get it. They didn't really understand. They haven't changed a bit. You know, this was worthless. Well, what we find, and we've done some research on this, um, it's been going in Canada for the last three or four years in uh, some court jurisdictions in Alberta, Canada, where we got a grant and it got researched. And the research feedback is telling us that parents say, even if the other parent doesn't cooperate, I can change my own behavior and have it go well and have it go better. So the children do feel better even if only one parent changes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm guessing that you run into parents who say something like, look, I've tried counseling several times. It's never worked. Why should I think that New Ways for Families is going to do any good? Well, it's really a different kind of counseling. And a lot of couples have gone through individual or couples counseling before the decision to get divorced has been made. But what we see is that they don't really learn the skills that we teach in New Ways for Families. And so it's a skills approach that's what makes this really work. Mm-hmm. I'm going to introduce another complication that I hear a lot from parents. The mom or the dad says, you know what? Our kid is acting just like the other parent. What can I do for my child? You have any advice about that? Yeah. A a lot of the benefit of New Ways for Families is teaching the kids these four skills. And the things they don't like that the other parent's doing are usually either uh, all-or-nothing thinking, unmanaged emotions, extreme behavior, and preoccupation with blaming others, uh, just about everything falls into one of those categories. So by teaching the child, even on a daily basis, is to say, these are the four big skills, and you can use them in every part of your life, and I want to help you learn these for your own future. So, you know, when, when you see a movie or TV or you're out in public somewhere, say, did you see that person? Do you think they were managing their emotions? And, you know, let's use our flexible thinking now. So the child gets used to this kind of routine around these four big skills. And then if, let's say, the other parent 
is demonstrating some of the negative behaviors, then you're not bad-mouthing the other parent by teaching these skills. You're helping the child see, you know, managed emotions is a good thing. So when they come home, say, Dad was screaming and yelling at me, I just couldn't stand it, you can say, well, you know, some people have a harder time managing their emotions than others, but we can manage our emotions, can't we? Let's make sure we try to practice that while we're together. So that way you don't get into bad-mouthing the other parent. You focus on the skills. And what's interesting is, is children who've gone through several years of this, because we've had three or four years of this method being out there, often really do start talking about, oops, you know, so-and-so wasn't using their managed emotions, or I've got to use my flexible thinking. So that seems to be a good way. But new ways is a very short-term thing. So in some cases, they may need some ongoing counseling, and we don't want to discourage that. Bill, we're coming to the end of our time together. What else would, li- would you like to add? Well, one of the things, because I'm a mediator, and I do mediate a lot of high-conflict divorce cases, is it really helps if both parents have gone through new ways for families before they go into mediation, whether it's court mediation, private mediation, uh, whatever, we're really finding that they're much more able to listen to each other, to make proposals, to be respectful, to manage their emotions in mediation so that they can make agreements. So for people involved in mediation, it's a really good way to go getting these skills beforehand. And I guess the other last thing I'd want to say is our website has a lot of information, newwaysforfamilies.com. And we also have another website, highconflictinstitute.com, that has a lot of books, videos, articles, etc. So those two resources I think people find very helpful. All right, great. Thanks a lot, Bill. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively In a private, confidential setting, we help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Colin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radioshow at collinfamilymediationgroup.com. Now, back to Family Matters. Welcome back to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin, professional family mediator. I'm going to be talking now with Dan Duell, who is the chairman of legislative affairs for the Utah chapter of National Parents Organization. National Parents Organization is the nation's largest shared parenting advocacy organization. And Dan has been working, doing their work in Utah for about eight years now. Is that right, Dan? Yeah, uh, the Utah chapter of the organization was formed uh, three years ago, I believe it was, and uh, that's when I got involved with them. But beyond that, I've been involved with family law reform and legislation for about eight years. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, I've been told that you have been working, uh, especially in the area of family law reform, you've been working with folks in this legislature trying to get some things changed and updated for that long, for about eight years. Um, So tell me, if you're hoping to see some family law reform, what would you like to see change Well, specifically, um, the, the biggest thing that we really want to see happen is a, a presumption of shared parenting uh, here in the state. We've already made some good strides toward that. Uh, we'd also like to see some, uh, one, one big thing is some real meaningful sanctions on parents who disobey court orders. So one of the things that will happen is one parent will, will uh, in violation of a parenting plan order, will uh, not allow the other parent to see the children. And a lot of the time, the court doesn't do anything about that. And um, <clears throat> there's a number of reasons why, but a lot of the time, nothing happens. And so then the parent keeps doing it over and over again. And we'd like to see some meaningful legislation passed that uh, puts a stop to that or at least mitigates it some. Uh, we'd also like to see uh, child support reform requiring uh, uh, more of a, uh, an equal requirement for both parents to... Uh, pay for the or be be responsible for the financial upbringing of their children and uh, that sort of thing and alimony reform. We'd like to see some move away reform. Constitutionally, we cannot stop uh, move aways. This is when one parent moves away from uh, the other parent and takes the children with them. And a lot of the times, parents will do this as a way to uh, eliminate the other parent from the child's life to get revenge or what have you. Uh, we'd like to, to see legislation passed to discourage that. Constitutionally, we can't uh, stop it, but we can discourage it. And uh, we'd also, overall, just some creativity and focus on keeping both parents active and involved with their children's lives uh, lives uh, after divorce. 
Okay. Um, so perhaps I should have uh, started not with what do we want to change, but should have started with uh, what 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 are the laws like now? What are the laws and the the common practices in court? I know, for example, that in a lot of states, about in, in when parents are separating or divorcing, about eighty percent of the time the court gives custody to the mom, and only about twenty percent of the time to the dad. Is that how Utah is also? Uh, Utah, it's probably closer to 89% of the time uh, the court gives the children to the mom, and only about 10% of the time do the the dads get uh, custody or some kind of a a, a shared or equal custody time. Uh, Yeah, so it's actually a little bit bigger here in Utah. We're trying to turn that around a bit, but that, that is the case, yes. Okay. What's the argument in favor of uh, having, if not equal, at least a more nearly equal amount of time for each parent? You know, say 60-40 or even 70-30 if you can't get 50-50. Why is that important? That's important because uh, we're seeing in uh, these, these cases where one parent has been eliminated or nearly eliminated from a child's life that... These children uh, have a much higher rate of uh, suicides. They're having uh, dramatically increased rates of depression and anxiety. Um, Children end up uh, having a a much, much higher uh, rate of incarceration, either as adolescents or as they get older. They have decreased education levels and increased dropout rates, and the list goes on and on. Uh, From, uh, you know, later in life, they have their own increased rates of divorce and relationship challenges. They have substantially increased rates of substance abuse and other mental health and social behavioral issue problems. And what we see is when children have access to both of their parents and have both of their parents active and involved in their lives, that these children end up being happier, they're more well-rounded, and they have fewer problems both as children and into adulthood. I see. Um some of the things you mentioned on that list of things that go wrong are are pretty scary. Are we talking now about families in which one parent has been largely pushed out of the child's life? Or are you talking about yes, uh, yes, that's that's yeah. exactly. Okay. So yes, that, okay. that's that's exactly right. When there's a when one parent has been largely pushed out of a child's life, they have these increased rates um, that I just talked about. You know, larger rates of suicide and depression, anxiety, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, how common is it in Utah for maybe the mom is awarded custody since eighty nine percent of the time that happens, but. But the parents are respectful of each other, and the dad does stay involved, and the mom's not trying to prevent him from seeing the children. Does that also happen? Oh, yeah. And in, in effect, I think that uh, my understanding, in fact, is that most of the cases, uh, whether, whether it's uh, a mom being awarded custody or they have some sort of a joint custody agreement, an arrangement. That's, that, that's what happens most of the time. Most of the time, parents have the ability to be civil with each other and get along and be involved with their children's lives. But 
And it ends up being, and I don't know what the numbers are, but it ends up being a smaller portion, still significant, but a smaller portion of the population that ends up, the divorced population, that ends up fighting and, and having difficulty and being eliminated from, eliminated from their children's lives. And that's really what we need to focus on and try to protect the children in that segment of the population. Okay. So what effect would you say the current legal system is having on kids? Uh, I think it's devastating to children um, because that they end up quite often, or at least too often, uh, losing access to one of their parents or one of their parents is they're just not able to see that other parent uh, often enough. And... Um, so then they end up having those uh, those difficulties that we talked about. And another thing that'll happen is uh, other alienating or or, or some uh, some sort of damaging behavior where one parent tends to try to diminish the natural love and affection that a child has toward the other parent, and they just do this uh, you know out of revenge or maliciousness, or sometimes there's even mental health issues involved where. Um, you know, one parent might be having some mental, undiagnosed mental health mm-hmm. issues where they're causing these problems as well. How did you come to be so interested in this area, in this problem? So uh, my whole life, I've, uh, you know, ever since I can remember being a child or being an adolescent of myself, I've been interested in this sort of thing. And one of the things that I saw as a child, is is I'm I'm in my 40s, and so my um, my generation is uh, the first generation to really experience sort of this uh, the results of the um, uh, no fault divorce uh, policies that started happening in the late 60s and early 70s, mm-hmm. and so I started seeing some of my friends and their challenges as I was growing up where they weren't able to see one parent or the other and saw how it was affecting them and how, how hurt they were by that. And as time went on, I uh, saw more and more of that. I saw it with members of my family and some of my circle of friends and associates in church and that sort of thing, and really just saw the devastating impact that divorce had on families. And that's really what, what uh, gave me the, the interest in this and in trying to improve things. Um, really, it's all about family for me and making sure we strengthen families. I come from a religious background that focuses on families. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that the divorce segment of the population is one that just gets lost in the, in the discussion when we talk about that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Lost in, in whose discussion? Um, I'm not sure what you mean. I, I think it... it, it <laughs> what, what I mean by that is uh, my state, in the state of Utah, is it's a, it's a hugely uh, religious state. Uh, there's, a, there's a big uh, religious population in this state. And what happens is, uh, I think from a religious, things are changing now, but I think historically in a, reli- in a religious um, segment of the population where we talk about families and strengthening families, that discussion ends up being about sort of the nuclear traditional family where there is no divorce and both parents are together and happy and the children are with them both and happy. And we historically haven't really had a lot of discussion on divorce and keeping those children bonded with both parents and those family connections alive. 
Uh-huh. So that's what I mean when I say that. Yeah. So it sounds like that there are two large institutions in Utah that could be doing a much better job of helping kids out when there has been a divorce in the family. It sounds like the church as well as the state government um, really have some learning to do and some changing to do to be able to help these kids. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I think there's some outdated stereotypes that are going on where you have a breadwinner that does all, the, all of the work, and then you have a homemaker that does all of the, uh, the caring for the children, rearing the children, and so forth. And I think there's a lot of misconception out there, both, from both institutions, that think that somehow that is still feasible when, uh, or, or post-divorce, when there's been a divorce, that that is still somehow feasible, and that's not always the case. Oh, right. Yeah, because if you have the two parents living in separate homes, one parent having a job and the other one not having to contribute to the effort to support the kids financially doesn't feel right anymore. No, that, no. Yeah. Not at all. Okay. Well, we're going to take a short break now, and when we come back, I would like to hear a lot more about how you got into this work and any suggestions you might have for people in other states who want to find out how to work with folks in their state legislatures to help update family laws to, to be what we need the way families are now. Time for a break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Colin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, 
please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at com. Now, back to Family Matters. I'm Virginia Collin on Family Matters, talking with Dan Duell. We've been talking about uh, what's hard for kids in after divorce and uh, what's hard, especially because of the way laws are written and the way laws are interpreted and enforced. So we're going to talk a little, and my guest, Dan, is um, a member of the National Parenting Organization, which you can find online at nationalparentsorganization.org. He's a member of that organization, which does encourage shared parenting and encourages state legislatures to update their laws so that there will be more encouragement of shared parenting rather than having one parent make all the decisions about a child's life and have the child not spend much time with the second parent. Um, So I'm going to talk a little bit more about how shared parenting might work even in difficult situations. And then we're going to talk about what you might do to get to know people in your state legislature to change things in your state, if Dan has any words of wisdom on that. So let's start with shared parenting. Um, it's it's kind of easy to imagine if two parents have been living together, their marriage falls apart, they split up, but they're both living in the same town, you know, within a half an hour of each other's houses, um, it shouldn't be too hard to arrange things so that those kids have easy access to both parents. Some situations are a lot more difficult. For example, one parent might move to Oregon and the other parent still lives in Utah. Um, any ideas about how to handle that? Yeah, sure. Um I think the parents and the court, and even the legislature, when they're crafting policy, need to get creative when it comes to those types of situations. So, for example, one of the things that uh, that parents could do, either on their own, and in Utah, the court will generally defer to the parents. That if, the, if the parents themselves come up with a plan, and the plan is feasible, the court will go with that as a general rule. Uh, if they end up fighting over it, then the court has to make a decision, but they can, that's where the, the, so, so more of the creativity can come into play. One of the things that parents can do, and the court could do, and that we need to encourage, is things like um, having, say, a month in one place and a month in the other place, or some some variation of that, whether it's a couple of weeks or a couple of months or, or what have you. And this is still feasible, however, for uh, parents, at least in Utah. We have this in Utah. But one of the things that, that, that we have, even for school-aged children, is we're moving to things like online school, that, that uh, where children can be enrolled in a school where they're going to school online and they're doing their studies online. So they could be in Oregon, and still in school and doing all of their studies with one parent, and then they come back to Utah, for example, and continue their schooling and still be with the other parent and have that more balanced, shared, maybe a little bit more equal time in, in with both parents and be able to enjoy and benefit from those relationships. 
And that's just one example of, of the kind of creativity that, that can occur that we need to be thinking about using uh, leveraging technology in order to uh, further the goal mm-hmm. of helping children cope with uh, divorce and, and, and uh, benefit from both parents. Yeah. Um, homeschooling is another option. Some of these are not, op- uh, not available in all states, but yeah, that sort of thing. Okay. Yeah, that, um, that's an interesting option, online school. That solves the problem of helping the child have good access to each parent, but it also means that the child is being out of state, maybe half of the time, far removed from the friends that he or she has known earlier in life. Do you, have people been trying this long enough to find out how the kids do? Do they make new friends in the new place and they just have two big sets of friends? I think it's fairly new. And uh, I don't know that there are, have been any scientific studies, but that would be the expectation, that they just have friends in both places and the understanding is and the, uh, that they cope with um, being able to have two circles of friends. It wouldn't be any different, really, even if uh, the parents were 30 minutes away from each other. Um, it's doubtful, except for maybe older children that would that are teen, in their teen years and would drive. Um, it's doubtful that even if they're a half an hour away, that they might spend as much time with just one circle of friends. They would probably have two, even if they're going to only one school. Mm-hmm. Um, children do this all the time anyway when they're um, homeschooled or online schooled here in Utah. They have their their circles of friends and, and, and so forth. So uh, I don't know that it would be... Uh, hugely uh, difficult for them, um, except maybe when they get older and they, you know, they start dating or what have you. And, and at that point, um, <clears throat> things can change, mm-hmm. uh, obviously. Mm-hmm. And it is difficult. Those moveaways are the, are the most difficult situations uh, to uh, deal with and deal with in a way that is uh, beneficial to um, all involved, and especially the children. Okay. The other, another situation in which shared parenting becomes very difficult is when one or both parents get involved with a new romantic partner or even a new life partner. And one parent thinks that the new person in the role of step parent is actually hostile to the children. Do you have any thoughts about that situation? You know, you know, my uh, my first reaction and the best reaction I can come up with because this one I've thought about before is, look, if if it's a, if it's that big of a problem and if it's a, and it's a detriment, go prove it in court. And I hate to say, you know, to I don't like to rely on the court unless uh, it's it's uh, absolutely required because the courts are invariably going to. I mean, they don't love the children like parents love the children, right? So. Um, but when it comes to that sort of thing, if, if, the, if the parent is hostile toward the children or that relationship, that new relationship is damaging the children, um, my reaction to that is, look, get your evidence and go prove it in court and then make the change if that's really the case. And we have to trust parents that, by and large, parents are going to do what's best for their children anyway. It's not going to happen all of the time, but there is no law that we can create that's going to cover every situation uh, that we can imagine. That and is so true. We need to be also be able to trust the parents 
to make those decisions as well and mm-hmm. defer to the parents. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes the other parent just says, look, it's fine. And if you don't think so, take it to court and prove it and get your modification. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's move on and talk about changing laws. Uh, in my experience, that's very difficult to do. I, for example, would love to change the law that doesn't really steer people towards mediation before they go to trial. Um, but you have experience with this, and I do not. So how do, how do you start? You know, How would somebody in another state figure out how to get in touch with people, who to get in touch with, how to get them to want to listen to you? What can you tell us? So I'm not really familiar with the way that it is in every state. I know how it is in Utah, but I imagine it is going to be at least somewhat similar in most states. Mm -hmm. And the first step to doing it is find out who your local legislators are. In Utah, we have a house of a state house of representatives and a state senate. Other other states have assemblymen and so forth. But in our state, that's the way that it works. Find out who your who your representative is your, on the on the state level, and who your senator is or who your assemblyman is or whatever, and get to know them. In Utah, it's very open. You can make, give uh, you know give them a phone call. You can send them an email and just start the ball rolling, getting to know them. Get involved with whatever political party that they are in. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to be a member of that political party, but if you're going to the events, you're going to start meeting people. And a lot of the times those events are outside of business hours, so people can uh, have the ability to do that and just get to know them. Shake their hand, look them in the eye, let them know that you're a reasonable, nice, kind, friendly individual. And then start talking to them about the issues and why the issues are important and get involved with going and watching the legislation as, as it starts to pass through uh, the process. In Utah, we have a fantastic <clears throat> legislative website to which you can, you can visit and look up the legislation that's going through. You can do keyword searches on the website and find out, hey, uh, you know, what are all the legislation on child custody, for example? And then you can look at it. You can find out where it is on the calendar and go to committee meetings and testify in committee meetings, which I understand is really difficult when you have a day job. <clears throat> I'm in a unique, unique situation where I can be there full time uh, legislatively. But even for people who cannot be there full time. Show up to one committee meeting, take half a day off of work and do that. And then you become known and you become trusted and your legislators will start to look to you for that um, advice and guidance on how to craft the law. That is wonderful. That was excellent. So any ordinary citizen, you don't have to be famous or outstanding or have accomplished something huge in your community or be a lawyer or any of that. Just if you care about it and you're willing to get to know people and talk to them about why it matters, then they might listen to you. That is absolutely right. I don't consider myself to be anybody special, and uh, I did not go to college to uh, learn about politics or anything. In fact, a lot of what I do, I've been doing it for enough years to where I'm very good at it now. But at the time, when I first started in trying to get involved in learning the process, I didn't really know what I was doing. And uh, just I'm just some Joe Schmo that cares and wants to get involved and wants to uh, 
help the people of Utah. And now I get phone calls from legislators all the time asking me about various pieces of legislation. They ask me for guidance. They ask me for advice in which way they should vote on a bill and why and so forth. And I'm a, I'm a strong believer that anybody can do it. If I can do it, anybody can do it. And it probably in most states, it probably really is that easy. Not in every wow. state, but in most states, it probably is. That's really wonderful to know. And it, it's, I gather it's not too difficult to read the laws, that you can actually read the bill and understand it. Uh, that's the way it is, I think, in most states. In Utah, we actually have a law on the books that says that, that the laws have to be written or the proposed uh, bills have to be written in plain language so that anybody can understand so on the federal level, it's, it's really difficult to, to read the law or the proposed law and really get a grasp on it because of the way that it's written. But in Utah, for example, we do have that. And it's, it's very simple, very easy to understand, very easy to read. Um, and I think other states are like that as well. I'm not really familiar with how they do it, but I think there's a lot of states that are like that as well. Well, it sounds like if other states, if my state or someone else is listening, if your state is not like that, that would be one of the first things it would be a good idea to change because we should be able to understand our laws as written. Okay, we're coming to the end now. This is your golden opportunity to uh, say something new or repeat something for emphasis, whatever you'd like to say about kids or families or working with the legislature. Well, I, um, I'm a big believer, obviously, in shared parenting. The, the research is increasingly showing that shared parenting is what benefits the children the most. And, and my belief is that the reason why that is the most beneficial to the children is because we are empowering both parents. And empowering both parents, nobody cares about and nobody loves the children more than the parents themselves. There is no governmental entity, no court, no judge, no attorney that's going to love those children more than the parents themselves. And when we protect those parental rights, by definition and by extension, we would be protecting the rights and the best interests of the child. All right. Thanks very much. Thank you for joining us this week on Family Matters. Please tune in for another edition featuring host Dr. Virginia Collin next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be kind, heal, and grow. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 